This is the You Can Learn Chinese podcast, part of the Seneca Network from SupChina. For everyone who's trying to learn Chinese or reaching for the next level, you came to the right place. I'm your host, Jared Turner, longtime resident of China, co-founder of the Manor Companion Graded Reader Series, and people say I'm indecisive, but I don't know about that one. My co-host is John Passon, co-founder of Mandarin Companion, founder of All Set Learning, the Chinese grammar wiki, Sinosplice.com, and uses a smoke alarm as a kitchen timer. In this episode, John and I will talk about common misconceptions about tones and how to build long-term strategies to tackle the problems, even if you're as tone deaf as John once was. Interview is with Daniel Nelesnik, who, due to a fluke scheduling error, took a Chinese class, fell in love with the language, and quit his job and moved to China to study full-time. All this and more, let's get to it. Hey guys, this is Jared Turner coming at you from Utah in the United States. Hey everybody, my name is John Pasden. I am in Shanghai, China. How's everybody doing? Woohoo! All right, John, we got another one of my early mornings, your late nights, and my voice is still a bit groggy. <laughs> I'm sure they can handle it. All right, we do have a listener question uh, we're going to read here. This is from Amy Harawati. Uh, she says, hello, Jared and John. I've been having some problems with my reading speed. Uh, the problem is, is that uh, reading subtitles or any words that appear on the screen while watching TV or YouTube are almost impossible for me at the moment. They almost always disappear before I finish reading. I know that most likely it means I haven't been reading enough, but I remember when I was learning English, it was never a problem. Do you have any advice or any specific exercise that can help improve reading speed? Any inside tips and tricks beyond just reading more? Thanks, guys. Keep up the good work, Amy. Well, all right. Well, thanks, Amy. Appreciate the question. All right. Well, first of all, I think it should be mentioned that reading subtitles on native-level media, that's, like, really fast. Um, any learner who is not super advanced is going to want to, like, pause to read the subtitles. Um, that's normal on, on most TV shows or, you know, movies, right? So... Don't beat yourself up about it too much because you got to be really advanced before that's not a problem at all. And aside from the actual speed, I think there's two other things I'd like to mention is that one, sometimes the font, it can be a little more of what do you call it, John, the, the, the serif fonts. It's a little bit more uh, artsy, you know, a little bit more like hand strokes, right? Uh, that's what I'm trying to say. And that can be a little bit harder if you're not used to looking at those. And then the second aspect, too, is uh, sometimes we think just about speed of reading, but the uh, aspect of parsing is uh, really important. And parsing, essentially being able to chop it up in your mind, what is a word and what is not, in order to make sense of the sentence. And, and that's really hard when it's being thrown at you at the speed of subtitles. And, if, and so the tips... Well, one thing I would ask also is when you're watching these shows and you're reading the subtitles, are you actually listening? Because I find when I'm watching a movie or a TV show that, that is just totally easy to follow because I'm listening at you know near 100% comprehension, I can read much more easily because I'm hearing it, right? Whereas if you're, if you're not really listening, you're kind of just reading and you don't have those clues to help you, then um, that could also kind of slow you down. So I think ultimately, uh, you know, in order pick up that reading speed. I mean, you can flashcard yourself. Uh, you know, it does show that that can improve your speed of recognition. 
but it doesn't necessarily, I, I, I don't know if there's studies on this, but it may not necessarily be a one-for-one one on being able to quickly parse it as well. Um, but, I mean, it, it's just one of those things, just read more, uh, watch more subtitles perhaps. Maybe slow down the video if you got YouTube or something. I mean, you can watch the same thing more than once. That's obviously going to help. If it's a series, then it's probably going to get better as the series progresses. But I suspect the real problem is that you're just being impatient with yourself. And unfortunately, reading speed and just, you know, character recognition and all these skills, they don't just, um, you know, take a few months. They take a number of years, unfortunately. So keep at it and you'll get there. Yes, keep at it. Okay, now today's topic is related to tones and it may be something that seems at first very much like a beginner topic, but actually I think even advanced learners, if they think about some of the things we're going to talk about today, you might find it kind of interesting to reflect on your own studies and how this works for you. Um, but one of the things that I sometimes see with beginners is they're trying to understand Chinese and they feel like the process is they have to hear it and they have to figure out like which of the individual tones each syllable of every word is and then they can use that to decode what they're hearing did, did you ever feel this way jared yeah i, I gotta say is that you know there's you know, we talk about tones the importance and so yeah it's it's a lot of pressure right <laughs> i mean it's it, there's a lot of moving pieces if you will and, and when you're trying to approach a new language that could be very different to your own like chinese yeah but I, I sometimes get the get the impression that people are thinking well if i can't figure out which tone the words that they're speaking to me, you know, which tones they are, then there's no way I can understand them. And uh, I, I think it would help to kind of review a bit some of the, the concept of tones and also how it relates to native speakers and how it relates to you as a non-native speaker. And, uh, and this can, you know, bring us around to a few tips that will help you to better uh, understand the tones in an, in an order and a timeline that actually makes sense for you as a learner. So, so one of the things I want to bring up first is that a lot of native speakers, if they're not teachers, if they've never been a Chinese teacher, like they don't really know the tones very well. Um, have you had this experience? I can't underscore this enough. I mean, it, it's like mind blowing. <laughs> you're kind of like, you're so focused on, is that first, second, third, or fourth? And you ask your friend or whatever, and they're like, uh, I, I don't know. And, and there's been times where I'm like, oh, no, no, that's, you know, second tone, not, you know, fourth tone. And they're like, oh, is it? And I'm like, they're like, yeah. Oh, and then they have to like say it and then like, okay, yeah. Yeah, the native speakers, they don't really think like that. They frequently don't think like that. They just know it. It just, it just comes out right. It's like you don't really think about how to pronounce something. You're not going through the words in your head about, you know, when you're speaking English or something. It's just you say it. And the same thing for yeah, natives. but some people I think they might think that it's it's kind of like spelling, where like they can't possibly not know the tone if they can say it. Uh, but that's not the case because native speakers don't really need pinyin, and the older they are, the chances that they've actually had to learn pinyin are lower. So um, you know, a lot of times people don't know the tones, or they can figure it out, but they have to like say it over and over and be like, "What? Is, uh, yeah, it's this," and it. It's kind of funny. You've probably seen people do this too. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, so native speakers, a lot of them, it, it's just a feeling, right? It's like we say it like this, that feels right. I'm used to hearing it that way, and I'm not used to whatever the heck is coming out of your mouth because uh, those tones can't be right. Um, and, and they don't really know necessarily what you're doing wrong, but they know that that's not what they're used to hearing. I, John, I think I remember that my first encounter with this was when my kids were in a, a Chinese school. 
uh, and there was like a group chat, a WeChat group for all the parents. And some of them we was putting some sort of question out there. Uh, and I'm mean, talking, this is like 50, you know, Chinese native parents and stuff and, and uh, something about like a character. And they were saying like, it was this tone or something. And I chimed in, I'm like, and I knew the character and I knew it, the tone they had was wrong. And so I chimed in and saying, uh, actually it's this tone. And, and I'm thinking like, Wow, like I, I realize now it wasn't a big deal because because they don't really focus on the tones, right? They they just can speak them, uh, and I, it wasn't like I knew tons of stuff about Chinese more than you know the, these native speakers, but it's just they didn't they don't really focus on that <laughs> because they're used to the right tones, so they don't need to worry about it. So 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 one of the things that in my own experience, I like to share a little story about this that that was really uh, kind of eye opening for me while also being both. Um, depressing and a little bit liberating. So I remember in the very first semester of Chinese in my university Chinese class, the teacher did this thing where it was a tone practice thing. She wanted us to hear the tones. And so she had like, I think it was four different poems, Chinese poems, classical poems. And we could we could study them, but the idea was we needed to hear the tones because we were getting familiar with the tones. And, you know, it's four poems. We're not going to memorize four poems in our first semester. But I just couldn't do it. I wasn't used to the tones. I feel like I don't have an ear for the tones. I kept getting confused. I just could not do it. And so I, I realized that there was a pattern to the tones in all four poems. And so all I had to learn was that pattern and then, like, a few differences if she happens to choose a different poem. So, so I figured out a way to game the system. And that's how I got a good grade on my tones. But, you know, pe- people sometimes say, oh, John Pazin, he really knows his tones. But, you know, in the beginning, I, I couldn't hear the tones. I just couldn't do it. Now, uh, okay, honest, honest question here, John. Do you ever mess up your tones these days? Yeah, I still do. I hear native speakers do it, too. All right, there you go. I, I mess up my tones much more than native speakers, uh, but uh, <laughs> everyone messes up tones. It's, it's nothing, to, <laughs> nothing to feel bad about. Okay, so so here's the thing. Um being able to hear every tone, you know, correctly as it's coming at you is is not the secret. And I, I remember once I had a, had a friend. Uh, she's like, what's the tone for this word? And I told her. And she's like, well, what's the tone for that word? And I told her. She's like, wait, how do you even know all these? You don't have a dictionary. You can't look it up. How, how do you know all these? And I was like, well, you got to memorize it. And and that kind of blew her mind because she did what what a lot of people do, which is kind of learn the pinyin and learn the pinyin pretty well, but don't really know the tones. And it turns out this can help you with uh, listening comprehension. Like if you know all the words in the pinyin and the people are using words you know, then you can understand what people are saying without figuring out what the tones are, right? That's right. But then when the time comes for you to speak, if you don't know the tones of any of the words that you're trying to say, it's going to be a disaster. Well, I got to say, John, uh, you know, you say memorize the tones, right? So tell us what exactly what you mean by that. So when you learn a word and you learn the pinyin for that word, there's a tone for each syllable and you just got to know it, like know it well. So we're saying like, you know, practicing it over, saying it and then also listening to it so that we're very familiar with that? Yeah, so it definitely really helps you to hear it many times um, because you come, you become familiar with it. And it's not that you have to know the tone when you hear it in order to comprehend it. It's that you have to know what the word sounds like so that when you say it, you can be confident. And occasionally there are cases where, you know, these two words are very similar, but they have different tones. But it doesn't happen 
so often, especially as a beginner, that it's a crucial thing. Um, but when you start speaking, you're not going to have control over your tones at all. And in the beginning, even if you know what the tones are, you can't you can't make them properly. But once you get to the point where you can make them properly, you got to know what they are so that you can make them properly. I'd like to add uh, one of my favorite tips in this area. And it's simply like, you know, when you're starting out, sometimes you can't even like differentiate. So we're saying like trying to, you know, recognize them, memorize them. But sometimes, you know, there's there some people have a really hard time hearing the difference between second and third tone or something like that. Um, and, and John, did you ever have that issue when you started out? Oh, yeah. Second and third tone are really easy to confuse. And first and fourth tone are really easy to confuse. So here's what I, I always suggest is that, uh, you know, you get a native speaker or what or whomever, whatever. And actually, you know, if you can't differentiate between the two tones, just have them, you know, say a word. Uh, it could be the same pinyin, like, you know, like sh or something. And say, have them say it with first tone and then fourth tone, first tone, fourth tone. And you can even have like kind of simple saying like, hey, you know, my, raise my hand. This is first tone. I raise my right hand. You know, this is fourth tone. And you're going back and forth like that to try to put them next to each other to start hearing the differences. So this actually really helps also with pronunciation, not just tones. Uh, if you're having trouble, like, you know, if you have a problem, uh, this also works with like a pronunciation problem. You can actually have them say it, okay, say it correctly, and then actually have them say it wrong, like the way you're saying it. So you can start trying to see, oh, I can hear the difference now. Uh, but yeah, that's a great way, uh, you know, to start approaching sometimes being able to hear the differences in these. Yeah, that, that's something that you definitely want to do. You want to, you want to contrast, you want to you want to do the two that you're working on, you know, one after the other, one after the other. And then you want different people to do it, um, different speeds, uh, you know, get, get a lot of variation, but focus on those ones that you're having trouble with. Um, that's definitely going to help you. And like I said, it's going to help you, especially with your production, actually speaking. Um, and that's really important if you want people to understand you. Now, now there's one other thing that I want to bring up here. It's kind of funny. It's something that I think all learners face, but I haven't heard people talking about a lot. It's something that I think of as um, tonal shoehorning. So you know what I mean by shoehorning, right? Like trying to cram something in where it's it doesn't really fit. Hmm. I've noticed that my that my I, I mean, it can fit. That's why you no, got a shoehorn. It can, I guess. But like uh, I've noticed this phenomenon where if I hear a word and it's not the word I expected, and the tones are different from the word I expected. My brain will be like, oh, no, it's not those tones. It's these tones. You know this word. But my brain is, like, wrong because my brain is trying to make it fit the tones of a word I know rather than the actual tones of what the person's saying. So I, I, I guess this could be this could be um, a matter of focusing on production being correct when I'm saying tones rather than hearing every single tone. But I feel like um, a lot of learners have the same problem. If you don't know the word, your brain's going to be like, oh, it's not that. It's just this word you know. Yeah, that's true because, you know, when you're listening to something, it's like a lot of stuff being thrown at you. Uh, you may be just trying to keep up with the conversation. Uh, and when, boom, this comes along, the correct pronunciation and, and tones for a word or phrase that you already know, or at least you think you know. And so you just interpret it. Just say, oh, yeah, it's just this way. It's this is the tones. Yeah. For so it. if your tones are really good and you can you can hear that it's maybe not the tone you're used to, then that's going to clue you in. But a lot of times it's a it's a vocabulary issue. It's like you don't really know that word, or it's something that's kind of kind of obscure, and your brain's like, oh, I got this. Just just use this word. Um, and actually, that's not what they're saying. You know, I think another aspect about it, John, too, is like even if you recognize, wait, 
did they say that differently than what I understood or I normally understand it to be? You know, you don't know, you know, it may be a situation or a setting where, you know, you may not feel comfortable or may not be appropriate just to stop the person and be like, all right, we need a quick little uh, language lesson here. What what was the tone for that again? Uh, I thought it was this. And, you know, so it, 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 it depends on that setting, right? Yeah, true. Okay, so then once you get to the more advanced levels and you're pretty comfortable with your tones, you know, you know the tones of the words that most people are saying and you can confirm that, yeah, these are the tones of these words and everything seems to fit together. I've noticed that um, the system really enforces itself well because, like, when people say a word, you know what the characters are. You know what the tones are of those characters in the word. Uh, you know, You know the word. Like, you know, the character, tone, word, like all that, all that stuff is all reinforcing itself. And I, I don't know about you, Jared, but like when someone says a word, sometimes it's even a new word. I can kind of, I can kind of see the characters sometimes. And uh, that's really awesome. And being able to have the sense for like what the characters are um, also reinforces the tones because you know what the tones for the characters are because you know other words with those same characters. And it all just reinforces itself nicely. I got to totally agree with you on this, John. And, and hey, you, the listener out there, if you haven't gotten to this point or you haven't really picked up characters yet, this is the reason why to keep learning characters because you're going to come across these words that you might be mushy in your head. And when you start to actually match that sound with a character, uh, it, it just there's something about it, I, at least for me, and I know lots of people, it just kind of anchors it in your mind. And I do this all the time. I, I have my t- uh, tutor uh, these days, John, and uh, I was just uh, in a lesson yesterday, and we were talking about, I, I don't remember what it was, but, um, oh, yeah, some words uh, like uh, t- like tzatzwa. And uh, and then all of a sudden, I, I'm thinking, well, wait a second, how many uh, actual words have that pronunciation, like at least that I know and are commonly used? And so I started throwing out the different characters, and there were like three of them that I knew right off. And it just one of those things like, oh, help me like grasp. Uh, a, a pronunciation aspect that I actually have been messing up a little bit and and, and, re, and associate that correct pronunciation with these multiple words out there that can be used. And so like, and that's just one example, but I mean, when you start getting these tones like a, a little bit more right and you start associating it with the characters, it just makes things like uh, come together. And I think John, as you were putting it, it's, it's like a self-reinforcing system. Yep. Yep. But it takes a while to, to get there. Okay, so to take it back to the very beginning, um, how we started, I just want to reiterate to you beginners that you don't need to hear every tone and identify every tone as it's coming at you in the very beginning. Um, you can just try to understand what the pinyin you're hearing is and you'll be able to figure it out. But as you learn words, you do want to learn the tones with those words so that you can pronounce stuff correctly. And I will add, especially, this is great when you really started to get more characters under your belt and really matching uh, not just the pronunciation, but those tones with the characters. It just kind of helps anchor everything in. And you will get there. You can learn Chinese, but it does take some time. Hang in there. You got this. All right, now it's time for a word from our sponsor. And today our sponsor is the All Set Learning Chinese Pronunciation Wiki. All right. So um, earlier on, Jared was talking about, you know, having someone say things so you can compare and contrast. And that's absolutely a great way to do it. But if you don't have someone by you 
or you know not at the moment then you want audio so you can play this stuff over and over and the pronunciation wiki's got it it's got all kinds of articles on you know opinion on tones on tone pairs um, all this stuff and you need to play that audio lots so that it can really you know marinate in your brain so if you find you're having troubles with you know any pairs tones or, or pronunciation of anything really like I, at the beginning for me john it was the r's like you know that that's a bit hard uh if you're having trouble with that the chinese pronunciation wiki is a great place to go and john uh where can they find it so resources.allsetlearning.com there's a link to the pronunciation wiki right in there and it's all free so you don't have to pay for anything you just go on there and just use it i mean john that's awesome Yep. Free resource. It's free. It's got audio. Um, I mean, if you want to support the project, there's stuff you can buy in there. You can find that, I'm sure. But um, check this resource out. It'll help you, especially as a beginner, but also as an elementary and intermediate learner. There's lots of stuff for you. Go out there and check it out today. All right, now it's time for Rants and Raves. John, what do you have for us today? Do you have a rant or do you have a rave? So I have a rant, which is uh, in the spirit of today's topic, um, which is uh, I've seen some like, I think it's apps or websites. They do this thing where they're just playing random syllables and they're testing you on what the tone is. And um, this is exactly like the experience I had with the, the Chinese poetry in first semester Chinese, where it's like, I can't hear it, okay? Like, it's just so frustrating. Like, as a total beginner, it's too hard. Like, I want to just hear the words that I need to learn and hear those words over and over and get comfortable with them and not be tested on random syllables that don't even mean anything because the brain wants meaning. So, um, I don't know, maybe there are people that are into this and, Everyone learns in different ways, sure. But I think for a lot of us, people that are anything like me, these kinds of exercises are just so demoralizing and frustrating, so I do not like. Yeah, uh, that does not sound fun. So it's it pretty much just practice or practice sakes that's not really uh, progressing you anywhere, right? Yeah, your brain wants meaning. Well, maybe it's progressing your you. Your brain but... wants to learn tones that are associated with words that can express ideas and thoughts, so I, I would focus on that. Yeah, so if you're going to be learning something, you might as well be learning more than just the, the pronunciation, right? <laughs> Some words while you're at it. Okay, so Jared, what do you got, rant or rave? Well, John, I'm going to join you on this. I also have a rant. And, you know, honestly, I was looking at it. It's been a while since I've had a rant. So uh, I got one today. Me too, man. All right? Um, this comes from an arc. I mean, we're just, I'm just, I just had it up to here. So uh, I'm going to dish it out. Here it is. So uh, this is from an article. Uh, I saw online, it's from thetimes.co.uk, so um, uh, United Kingdom's The Times, and it's a review of a forthcoming book uh, called The Kingdom of Characters, but the title of this article just, just grinds my gears, John. It says, The Impossible Chinese Language and How It Was Modernized. The Chinese language has thousands of characters. How was it adapted for the age of keyboards? All right, now I've, I've read through the article, and it's interesting, but I... I just hate it when there are articles or people, they position Chinese as, quote, impossible, right? It just, like, turns people off. It's like, and it creates, again, like, reinforces that already, uh, I think, incorrect 
conventional wisdom that Chinese is, you know, impossible to learn and it's just so hard and, and that, you know, you have to be a genius to even approach this language. And so I was just not happy to see this. And, and unfortunately, I think uh, this book that is forthcoming, um, it's, I think it's, it's probably balanced, but a lot of the things I've been seeing going around about it, it's kind of uh, reinforcing that to a, a degree, just saying that, hey, you know, this is really difficult language and, you know, it, it, it's just framing it as impossible or incredibly difficult. Not a fan of the hyperbole, I see. No, but actually, if if you want to read uh, read about people saying you know why Chinese is crazy, no, I'm not talking about David Moser again. There's uh, also John DeFrancis, who was uh, not the biggest fan of characters, despite being a uh, a scholar, you know, in that field. So uh, maybe not impossible though, huh? That's right. And there, you know, they say here, you know, you got to learn thousands of characters before you can read anything in Chinese, and that's not true. I mean. I mean, I, last time I checked, I think we've uh, done 17 books for Manor Companion, right? And those are readable if you only know, like, uh, you know, 150 characters, right? We showed them, Jared. We showed them. We showed them. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give, I'm going to give this, uh, uh, I'm going to give this guy a call on the phone and give him a piece of my mind. Give him a book. That'll show him. My name is Dan Nalesnik. I uh, have been a Chinese language learner for about 12 years, have gotten to a decent level of proficiency. Dan is rather modest in his Chinese skills, but he's definitely smart enough to avoid using the F word, fluent. And I've spent a good amount of time throughout all the different tools and methodologies and uh, different sources of learning. And through that, have also uh, ended up creating a company that helps people learn Chinese characters. Dan has done some amazing things and put in a lot of work to learn Chinese. After listening to his story, you'll come away with not just being inspired to work harder, but also with ideas on how to work smarter. Stay with us. All right, Daniel, why did you start learning Chinese? It was basically a fluke in the beginning. I had no intention of signing up for a class or learning Chinese, but my company that I worked at was offering the chance to take evening courses free. So I signed up for an economics class and got it paid for and all was well. And then at the last minute, there was a reason why I could not take that class anymore. So I had this choice of either give up that free class or take something else. So basically the only thing that was available was a Chinese uh, at night (laughs) in Boston. What is like, okay, sorry, you can't do your economics class. I majored in economics, by the way, so great, yeah. But, like, what did you think? Like, only Chinese is available. Well, so I had come from a background of learning French in middle school, high school, and college, and I spoke no French at all. So I I told myself I was not a language person. I probably Mm. could never do this. And it was really a scary thought going into this. The benefit was I was an adult learner. I was not in school. These credits didn't matter to me. So I was like, hey, I'll just take it a little bit more relaxed. We'll see what happens. And then, like many others, I fell in love with it. And, you know, within six months, I had decided to quit my job and uh, really devote a good amount of my life to focusing on the acquisition of Chinese language. I even moved to China the very next year. So, wow, kind of fell into it. Why do you, what was it about Chinese where you just you fell in love with the language? In the beginning, it was 
the challenge. It was the fact that it was so different. I remember sitting in my first couple classes, the first couple weeks, and seeing Chinese characters and hearing the teacher speak what <laughs> it sounded like Chinese to me. I mean, it was just like totally incomprehensible to me. It was so much harder than even the French. And the fact that it was very challenging really attracted me to it. I have found from talking to students on my own is that that's a very common scenario. The fact that it's so different, the fact that it's so challenging is something that really draws people to it. And I don't know why that is. It was so challenging that I had to dig my teeth into it. And the second thing was, after I had made some progress with Chinese, the novelty of, wow, this is challenging, really subsided quite a bit. And it became, I was really just addicted to the progress. It was so mm. fun and kind of like mesmerizing to be able to speak to somebody in a really any foreign language, I suppose. But Chinese, you know, being able to interact in conversations and have them go in <laughs> and have them actually understand what I was saying was an addicting thing. So since then, I've always tried to find things that were motivating to keep me uh, with it. Surely you must have had some early experiences there where it, like you had that success, right? Oh, I, I was able to use Chinese to communicate. Can you think of some of those early experiences you had that really spurred you on? So when I really dived into Chinese, I took that evening class, but you know, a few hours a week doesn't get you very far. And then uh, shortly thereafter, I, I moved to China for a year. I was in Beijing and Shanghai. And at one point, I had some friends come visit. And I had to be the one to do all the logistics, to you know, do the hotel stuff, order food, things like that. Now, to me, I understood that I was speaking very elementary. I imagined the people I was speaking with thought, wow, this guy's Chinese is not very good, whatever. Like, But then somebody else came to our group at one point and a friend who had been hanging out with me for a day or two said, introduced me and said, oh, this is, uh, this is my friend Dan. He's basically fluent in Mandarin, <laughs> which, which was like completely not true at all. But, but I realized that, okay, if the goal is communication, I had achieved that goal. Somebody was unable to communicate, things needed to be done and I was able to do them. So, you know, that was a moment for me that, gave me a ton of motivation because it was like, yeah, I am achieving this goal. Yes, of course, I'm still a beginner, but at least the progress is real and, and, and the goal that's out there is uh, something you can achieve. Wow, that's great. I got to hear, what was this friend who's basically fluent? I'm assuming that maybe it wasn't quite so. <laughs> no, not at all. It was, I, I, you know, probably it was completely broken and all the tones were wrong. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> like, what, what job were you doing? And, and why did you decide, I'm just going to quit my job to learn Chinese and, and move to China. Like, what happened there? Yeah, so I was a software engineer in Boston, and the Chinese class had nothing to do with what I was doing. It was very unlike my day job, but it did have some similarities in terms of it was challenging. And I think at the time, it was 2008 when I took my first evening class, and then by 2009, I had quit and, and gone to China. So one of the reasons that I really decided to do it was because I, I felt like, if not now, when? kind of thing. And I was still quite young. I had been at the job for several years, but it was this thing where I just knew I was so in love with this that it was like, you have one life, right? And I remember writing an email to my parents. I was like, dear mom and dad, you know, I'm leaving and I'll be gone for a year. I'll be in China. <laughs> and in that letter, I included a quote, which was something like, life is not measured by the number of breaths you take, but by the number of times your breath is taken away or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, 
And yeah, it was just a, a spirit of adventure. You know, go for it. Why not? And I was I was young and and, and stupid, or maybe who knows what it was. <laughs> of course, it was we were. Just, uh, yeah, it was. And now we're not young. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but maybe maybe hopefully wiser, right? But you know, what was that experience like? And why did what took you over there? Did you go over there and say, hey, you know, I'm just going to go there and look for a job, or did you go to teaching English? Or you, tell tell me about that. I did a little bit of research online to figure out what I should do when I'm there. But the main goal for me was was language learning. I wanted to be immersed in the language. So I found a program that would basically bring me over, get my flights, get my housing, sign me up for teaching programs. I ended up being at Beijing University in Beijing and then Fudan University in Shanghai. And I, I knew at the time that I, I wanted to make as much progress as I could. So from the advice I found was don't teach English if you can. So my days for the majority of that year were four hours of classroom learning in Chinese universities, which is a mixed results there. And then uh, two hours a day of being with a tutor one-on-one. -on -one, mm -hmm. And then the rest of my time was self-study and it's, you know, a variety of things there. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about what was more effective or even that experience like at a Chinese university. I've heard a lot of mixed results about that versus you had a tutor and versus you're doing your own stuff. Maybe you could contrast those for us. So being in a university in China, it did have pros and cons, but I would say net-net, if you have the luxury to choose whatever uh, and go anywhere, I would say that the university experience for me was one of the least efficient uses of my time. A lot of students in China, in at least the universities I went to, they were a lot younger and they treated their Chinese language classes as something to get through during the day. They didn't really care to progress too much, which was fine, they still had a great cultural experience, I'm sure. But for me, my goal while I was there was to take advantage of my time and, and learn as much as possible. So, you know, in class, it was what you would expect. We read through a textbook, repeat things a lot. We have these daily tingxie. Uh, we have, you know, exams every now and then. Grades didn't really matter. Whereas my tutors, that's where I feel like I made the most progress outside of self-study. Mm. Um, yeah, I should say self-study ha has always been most important for me. But tutors was where I really learned because, okay, you may have some knowledge, but it's meaningless until you actually use it. So it's challenging to go out in the real world and, and actually try to use any language that you just learned. But if you have a, a tutor who's willing to practice with you and is willing to help you say, oh, you don't say it that way, you say it this way and answer questions right on the spot, having in, an intense you know, two hours a day of one-on-one of -on -one for a year was the most beneficial thing uh, that I had. Now, these are still kind of your early stages, right, in, in learning Chinese. You had classroom experience in the United States, moving to China, going through university programs, doing a lot of self-study tutors. Where do you feel like you made the most progress and what was most helpful for your Chinese language development? So that one year for sure was a big boost because no matter what I was doing, I was focusing on it full-time. Even if I was inefficient, it was a year of intensive study, and, and that really helped. When I left China after a year, so that was my year of you know immersion as much as possible, and ever since then, it's been online tutors, watching TV, reading, that type of thing. It's quite challenging to compare and contrast those two because they are so different. Being on the street in China, at least once you have a, a decent level of proficiency, you are learning a bit just by being there. I think a lot less than most people think, especially if you're a beginner. The fact that I was focusing on language learning full-time made a difference, but I could have done that almost anywhere. But once I left China and I focused on everything else you can do, it really became clear that self-study is infinitely important. Even if you have the best teachers in the world, it's like the sign in my orthodontist appointments when I was eight years old. It's like there's nothing the orthodontist or dentist can do that can overcome what the patient won't. The best <laughs> teachers in the world, but if you're not willing to put in the time, the learning, the practice, that sort of thing, it's, you're not going to get as far as you want. 
I think when it comes to specific things that you're doing, you can never get enough of, of two things, and that's uh, listening and, and reading. And fortunately, those are things that you can do almost anywhere and quite easily on your own. Obviously, most people, I think, are looking forward to speaking, and that is definitely more challenging to find suitable practice. It's a lot easier today than it was 20 years ago, no doubt about it. But it's still much more challenging than, say, picking up a book to read. Or I hear you guys may be familiar with uh, graded reading material. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I know a little a bit more. about that, right? <laughs> yeah, so you know, reading is something that you can do so easily and carry around with you. Especially now, you know, if you have uh, material on an app or whatever, you can carry that anywhere. And, and there's no there's no way to progress without adding that to your mix of stuff that you do routinely day to day, right? And same with listening. So. Those two things, to me, are paramount. If, if you do nothing else but read and listen, that will certainly maintain any skill you have, but probably also progress it a bit too. I want to know, Daniel, like, what do you think was really kind of motivating you through this time? I mean, you got excited about learning Chinese, right, at the very beginning. Because I know what it's like, you know, moving to China, culture shock's a very real thing, right? And there's some times where it's just really hard. What do you think kind of sustained you through some of the difficult times to you know, keep you motivated to really say, hey, I, I really want to stick with this? Those motivations were so important to me and they did change over time. You know, in the beginning, it was the novelty of, wow, this is so challenging. And that carried me through, fortunately, learning Pinyin, learning my first hundred something characters, learning how to to deal at all with the basics. And then it changed to really the progress, the fact that, you know, you were able to achieve these other milestones in your ability, whether it was having a conversation with somebody or even just listening to a television show. I remember the first time I watched a television show and I actually could understand the vast majority of it. It was just, it was uh, just so satisfying. I have a very visceral memory, though, of the very first time I picked up a graded reader. It was a Chinese Breeze. Uh-huh. It was one of their first level books. And it was actually very far below my, my level at the time because I didn't find these. I didn't even know they existed until maybe near the end of that first year in China. But the fact that it was not a textbook, the fact that it was like, oh, this is just a thing. There's no English. There's no opinion. It's just Chinese characters. Opening it up, reading it, and just being like, blown away by the fact that I got this, like this is conquerable. It's something that I can do. And if you're having a conversation with somebody in a foreign language, you don't really know how well you're doing. You have a couple signals that give you a good idea of how you're doing. Like maybe the person is able to respond. Maybe they're nodding their head. Maybe they're asking relevant questions. But even if all of that stuff happens, you don't know, did I say everything right? Were my tones correct? Or are they just good at listening to my terrible accent? You don't really know those things. But if you're reading something, you personally can look at it. And if you understand it, you feel an enormous sense of accomplishment because it's like, I did this. There's no way I don't get this. I do get it. I read it. I understand it. It's all in my mind. It's a story now in my mind. I can tell somebody this story in English, maybe in Chinese, but it's like, I know for sure I totally dominated that task. And that was so cool. I bought everything from that graded reader series and I've purchased everything from every other graded reader series that I've ever found. That was one of my biggest motivations for sure. That's really cool. You know, I, I had a similar experience too, you know. Chinese Breeze were the first grade readers I too read, you know, and it, it's great to hear you had that experience because I tell people like when you read your first book in Chinese, it's a game changer, right? And some people are like, Yeah, oh, maybe, totally. maybe, maybe not. I'm like, no, it totally is. Totally. And you have to find what motivates you because you can only run on willpower for so long. In the beginning it's novelty and, and whether it's the challenge or anything else, you'll get through it. If you don't get through the beginning part, you won't get through any of the other parts. But most people get through the beginning because it's so new and so cool. But eventually you will get to a stage where everything you're learning is not immediately applicable and it, it then becomes challenging. For the first time for me where it was challenging was somewhere after HSK 
five where it was like, you're learning things that you know are important, but you may not actually use them day to day at all. So if you don't find some form of motivation, whether it's being able to read books or any other sort of progress stats you're recording or whatever, you better find it quick because that motivation can go away. And if it dries up, you know, (laughs) good luck. (laughs) Yeah, I, I totally get that. Well, Daniel, that was some years ago, right? Your experience going to China and you went through a university program. What has kind of happened since then where you've decided, hey, I I still want to continue learning Chinese? And how, how has that kind of impacted your life and career? When I came back from China in 2010, I joined a grad program here in the U.S. and then had a job here in the U.S. for a few years, which was unrelated to Chinese. But that entire time, I was very much yearning to go back, yearning to have a chance to practice. When I left China after my first visit there, or my first year there, I had finally, really just towards the last couple months, reached a stage where I had some skill. I could interact with ease in a number of conversations. And that was super, 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 super fun. And then I left the country. And so being outside of China right at that place was, it was a form of suffering. (laughs) Let me tell you, it's like being a pianist on an island where there are no pianos, right? (laughs) Um, It was very challenging. So I always wanted to go back. I always wanted to figure out what was the fastest way back. And I took a job in the US and I chose a place that had international offices. And my long-term thinking was maybe in the future, I will be able to find a opportunity to move to an overseas office. And in 2014, I did get that opportunity. I, I moved to Hong Kong. And Hong Kong is great. I love it. There's not too many chances for me to actually speak Mandarin without forcing it on people, mm-hmm. at least the, the locals. I mean, their English level is fantastic. So since then, basically, it's been me trying to maintain, trying to get better tools, get better teaching methodologies, or really learning methodologies, figure out how I can be very efficient with my time because it is more challenging when you're out of that environment. After having used so many programs and and online programs and and apps and, and everything, I felt like there was one thing in particular that was always troublesome for me, which was managing all these different words I needed to learn and being able to maintain your vocabulary very strong. And, and grow it over time too, which led me eventually to create Hack Chinese. Well, Daniel, this is something that a lot of people struggle with is simply just like, hey, uh, maybe I went through a program, I went through an intensive period of learning Chinese, maybe lived in China, maybe not, whatever. But what were you doing or what were you not doing even to try to keep up your Chinese? So consistency is super, super important. If you're going to do five minutes a day, that is infinitely better than an hour every two weeks. The periods of time where I'm doing something every day versus the periods of time where I'm not doing something every day, it really changes the game. I feel more motivated. I feel like progress is being made. Everything feels great. you know. And if you're speaking, if you have an online tutor or whatever, and you're speaking for even 20 minutes a day, and then you have a chance to use Chinese outside of the context of a class, you will feel more fluent. You will feel more open to just speaking about anything. Your level might be the same. You might not be learning anything with those tutors that you speak with all the time, but at least you are in practice with it, right? At least you're used to opening your mouth and and producing some of that language. So when you have a authentic experience where you can speak with somebody who's not a teacher and you're able to succeed and finish that conversation and not feel like you screwed everything up, that is something that will produce so much motivation for you and will enable you to keep going. So consistency for sure is really important. Watching Chinese television is something that I got into huge, especially when I moved to Hong Kong. I have never met anybody who is really good at a foreign language who has not told me that they watch a lot of television in that target Mm -hmm. language. So if you have access to the internet, which probably most of your listeners do, <laughs> yes. uh, definitely find a way. There's several services where you can watch native Chinese content. It's got subtitles on the bottom. 
I listened to one of your podcasts recently, and the guest was saying podcasts instead of uh, TV or radio stations may be even more efficient because there's less pausing and waiting and things that are happening on screen, but not necessarily mm. like orally communicated. And so I have used podcasts before, is maybe five, 10 years ago. Turning the focus a little bit here, you know, I know you started Hack Chinese and it's more of a flashcard concept. So what kind of like channeled you to saying, hey, I, you know, I'm going to start my own <laughs> business and that's related to Chinese education, much less a flashcard app? Yeah, I had taken, since I left China, online classes and in-person classes, and they had been a variety of costs and experiences. When I was finally in Hong Kong, my company was willing to pay for some specialized Mandarin classes, Mandarin classes that focused on the industry that I was working in. And these classes were close to 10 times what I was typically paying per hour for language learning. I wasn't paying it, so okay, I'm, I'm happy to have somebody else pay the bill there. But going into those classes, I thought, okay, this is going to be some of the world's best education. How could it not? I think it was like several hundred dollars an hour for these classes. So I attended these classes. They were very good. The teachers were very well prepared. They had prepared equally as much as I had for these classes, uh, and that was all great. But at the end, in the course of almost any language class, you're going to learn a lot of stuff, a lot of vocabulary in particular, but a lot of stuff. And at the end of the day, there was no real great way for you to go home and keep all of that stuff that you had learned. And so I was just so disenchanted at the moment that I was paying for these super expensive courses. And there was still this like huge elephant in the room, which was like, okay, like how am I actually supposed to go about remembering all this stuff? And at that point, it always fell back to, oh, well, you can just review it and, you know, maybe make some flashcards. And it was like, yeah, that's, that's okay. But like the future's here already with other stuff. Why aren't you pushing this? Why aren't you using this? And I had used Anki. I think Anki is super, super powerful. And I, I don't have too many negative things to say about it other than that it's challenging to get going. It's challenging to maintain mm -hmm. something like that. So with all those experiences, it, it led me to think, okay, I have to solve this problem. I have to do something so that other people in the future aren't in this situation. And what kind of went into actually saying, hey, you know, I, I, I'm going to do this, right? I was lucky in the sense that I had suffered from this problem long enough that I was willing to do another uh, big thing in my life, which was quit my job again and focus on this full time. I do remember spending at least a year debating in my head, do I quit my job? Do I not? And so it was like really challenging to make this decision. And then finally, after a year of debating this every night, I, I just realized that once again, I'm not going to be any younger in the future. I have relatively few adult responsibilities at the moment. Now is the time to, to try for it or not. And finally, I did. I quit my job. And at that point, I had to learn again how to kind of code. And But then I started writing the first couple lines, and now it's been several years. So we've come a long way. What's kind of next for you? You're living in Hong Kong still. You've attained a level of proficiency in Chinese. I mean, we avoid that F word fluency, right? What do you think is next for you in your <laughs> yeah, Chinese language you know, learning? So for me right now, I'm fired up from the experiences of the last couple of years with Hack Chinese, and I really want to focus on that and, and kind of keep going. The whole idea behind the company anyway is, is, is efficiency and being more efficient with your time. You know, time is scarce. And so learning tools are really fun to work on if you're interested in language learning. So for me personally, I hope I'm able to continue working on this and continue to add features that users want, but also just keep pulling in more of the language and following the ethos that we have of like, be efficient with your time and all that. So 
I do think at some point I want to go back to the mainland. Maybe I'll go to Taiwan. I know I have a bunch of friends there. Maybe I go to uh, Shanghai, uh, Beijing again. Maybe I go to a third tier city and try to take advantage of being totally outside the expat bubble. But most likely I'm still in Asia. I'm still working on my thing and trying to push the, the language acquisition front forward for me and others. Dan, if you could go back and you could do anything different in your language learning experience, what would you do differently and why? For me, that's, it's an easy answer. It would be not to spend as much time learning to handwrite characters. I had spent probably a thousand hours in that first year wow. with notebooks. I was using a, a wow. very generic space repetition tool to sort of prompt me with words and I was writing out in the notebooks. It was super fun. I, I really enjoyed it, but I haven't used any of that knowledge since and I, I basically kind of lost it. And, you know, it comes down to time is, is definitely a scarce resource. And because of that, you know, if communication in Chinese is your goal, then my advice would be not to spend too much time on things that don't directly further that goal. So Daniel, what advice would you give to someone who's thinking of learning Chinese or just starting to learn Chinese right now? People who are learning Chinese these days are in a pretty great position because there is an enormous amount of resources. There's an enormous amount of advice. And that's good. That can also be a hindrance in some sense because there's a bit of an information overload. If you type in questions into Google, you will get answers on Quora, on several blogs, on everything about how to do a whole bunch of stuff. And it's challenging to really sort through a lot of that stuff and figure out what is really good. There are great sources of information and then there are sources of information that are maybe not as great. So I would say focus on the tried and true you know, learning methodologies and information sources that are reputable and that other people are recommending a lot. So for example, the, the Hacking Chinese blog has incredible information. You know, don't underestimate how important reading is. And you can start doing that so early now because of Mandarin Companion, Chinese Breeze, uh, Imaginate, all mm -hmm. sorts of graded readers. Get them all and, and just get through them. There's no way you're going to get forward without it. I guess if I would give some concrete advice, I am always a fan of textbooks. And, and, and I feel like people don't usually say this, but I think textbooks are great because they get all this awesome stuff in, combined into one package. You get reading, you get listening, you, know, you get dialogues that you can read, dialogues that you can listen to. You get a systematic progression of characters and words. You do get some grammar stuff if you need it. But, you know, some of these textbooks have gone through so many editions that they're pretty good. And they have a number of things that you need for sure. Like you're not going to get much fluency without these things. And they're relatively cheap too. Uh, yeah, you can buy another app. You can, you know, take a class and you should do those things too. But textbooks, you can self-study those. You can get through a textbook pretty easily. And when you're done with that textbook, get another series textbook and just increase the volume. Just keep going through these textbooks. Ignore all the grammar stuff. Ignore all the exercises and just read it. Listen to it. They're becoming less valued these days as so many other resources pop up, but they're still gold mines. And if you find them for a cheap price online, there's no reason not to add them to your repertoire. And I, I will say, sometimes we bag on textbooks, but they're excellent at introducing language, right? And they've definitely improved. In the last 10 years, 20 years, they're much better than they were decades ago, right? <laughs> than what we, maybe when I went through school, right? They're much better than, than that period. Yeah, and I would also add to that, there is a range of quality in textbooks. I would personally recommend the integrated Chinese textbooks. Boya, New Practical Chinese Reader is pretty good. The HSK series is, is, is great if you're looking for, for that exam. So look around, do some shopping, read some reviews. If you're going to go the textbook route, get the ones that are great. Well, Daniel, if people want to find out more about you and more about what you're doing, where can they go? 
you can head to www.hackchinese.com. If you're interested in trying what we're doing, we have a 20-day free trial. You can see what we're working on. And we update so frequently that if you join today versus in six months, it'll be maybe a wholly different product, but we're growing as fast as we can. So we'd love to have you take a look. Well, Daniel, thanks so much for that. And we'll put a link to that in the show notes. And we appreciate you sharing your time and your experience with us uh, for this podcast. It's been really helpful. Thanks so much, Jared. This has been a lot of fun. I'll be listening to all your episodes in the future as well. You have been listening to the You Can Learn Chinese podcast. Help us spread the word by sharing this with your friends, classmates, teachers, cousins, robot, camper, fruit bat, handyman, librarian, runner, programmer, and that one guy named Peter. You can subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And please, write us a review so we know how we're doing. You can find us on Facebook and at mannercompanion.com. Apologies to John Cena, we just ran out of time. The You Can Learn Chinese podcast is produced by myself, Jared Turner, and our editor is Kaiser Guo at SupChina, and our interview editor is James Harper with Filter Productions. I'd like to thank our guest interview, Dan the Lesson, and of course, thanks to my co-host, the man, the myth, the legend, John Paston. See you next time.